Well, I've never had somebody spill the beans on the band stuff when I've been introduced for anything, but thanks, Curtis. It's good to be with you. <laughs> well, hey, good morning, church. It's good to see you today. Uh, like Curtis said, my name is Sean, and I am the pastor at Reach Church in downtown Everett. If you've ever driven by the arena and seen the, uh, the giant armory downtown, uh, that is now where our church meets for uh, the last couple of years, and it's just been a privilege to serve the city of Everett, serve Snohomish County, and uh, just to be partnered with good churches like you guys. Um, like he said, I've been here a couple times to lead worship, um, which has been really fun. And, uh, and yeah, Chris and I have become good friends over the last few years. Um, this might not surprise you, but I, I met Chris um, simply by going to Starbucks in Lake Stevens. Anybody else? Uh, it's kind of his brand. Um, I would get coffee there and go do sermon study or, or church stuff and see this cool guy with a beard. And I thought, hey, I have, I'm a guy with a beard. Maybe I would like talking to him. And, uh, and then I'd see his Bible and we would just strike up a conversation and eventually just became really good friends and uh, have walked through just um, many years of just, um, just ministry, just kind of encouraging each other and spurring each other on. And so um, it's an honor to be covering for him today while he's out. Uh, I've had a chance to stay connected with him during his sabbatical, um, not to bother him with church-related stuff, mostly just to send him things that will make him laugh and make him have fun, and, uh, and he's doing really well. I just want to give you just a good report. Even this morning, I was talking to him briefly, and he's doing really, really well. His family's doing great, and, uh, and they love this church. I, I, I can tell you that much. Chris loves this community of believers, and, um, and I, I know that it's a huge blessing to him and his family to be able to be doing what they're doing right now, so God bless you guys for... Uh, for enduring as he's out. Um, I wanted to introduce you to my family. They're not here, but I'll show you a picture. Um, my wife, Kara, and I have been married since 2008, so just going on about 14 years. Uh, Adelie is seven, Leo is four, um, and we're just so grateful uh, for our kids. It's been really fun. Uh, fun fact for us, when we planted our church back in 2017, Kara was pregnant with Leo, and uh, it was one of those things where we were trying to time out uh, when to have our next child, and we said, let's just hold off a little bit. We're planting this church. Um, it's going to be a busy season, and then uh, that's exactly when Leo was conceived, and so um, we were pregnant that whole time, and it kind of forced us to slow down and focus on family as we uh, endeavored to plant, and we opened our church uh, informally in uh, September. Five, it'll be five years this September, and then Easter Sunday in 20, 2018, and so um, just been going for about five years. It's been a huge blessing, and uh, but I'll tell you, it's been tiring at times. It's been tiring. I, I don't know how long you've been around this church, or if you have the privilege of um, being close to Chris or, or a pastor in your life. Um, but ministry can be exhausting. Um, the last few years have been particularly exhausting, <laughs> and so I think it's a grace to be able to stand here today with you and to just acknowledge the goodness of God, who is our sustainer, and who carries us through all kinds of things that we go through in life. Um, and so with that in mind, actually, as the backdrop even of this message, I want to talk to you today uh, specifically about this idea of finding rest, rest for our souls. Uh, in fact, if you've got your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, it's the, actually the passage of the Curtis just read for Call to Worship, the very end of chapter 11. Um, and I've simply entitled this message, Come to Me. Come to Me. And I'm going to talk to you about this idea of rest. Um, now, I don't know if you're much of a participatory church, if you like to engage with the sermon at all, or, uh, or raise your hand when the pastor asks you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to do that, just out of sheer curiosity. Uh, how many of you would say, by show of hands, that you have experienced some measure of weariness 
or tiredness in the last year or so? And you can be honest. Nobody's going to quiz you on what it is. Okay, that's most of us. Uh, how many of you are parents and you would just say, that's just my perpetual state. We don't get a lot of sleep in my house. That's just kind of how life is. Yeah. yeah, even if you're an empty nester, you're probably feeling the same thing. You know, people are tired. People get tired. And I would say, especially after the last few years, people are very tired. Uh, I was looking at some research done by Gallup, a survey done in July of 2018. Um, and just specifically reporting on millennials. It said that 7 in 10 millennials reported experiencing what they would identify as some form of burnout. I don't know what that means to them, how they define burnout, relatively speaking, but 7 out of 10 would say, that's how I feel about my life right now. 30% of that same generation reported experiencing work-disrupting anxiety and depression. Now remember, this is a survey that was done in 2018. And so think about now, a few years after COVID and the pandemic and the stressors of isolating and, and the, the political unrest that we've experienced, just the chaos of our world, how much more so are people across the board dealing with things like anxiety, depression, restlessness? I would say the fact is we need to learn how to rest. Now, I'll tell you today is not going to be a how-to um, it's not going to uh, diagnose your particular situation on how you're doing Sabbath or solitude or, or, or whatever spiritual disciplines you have in your life. Rather, today, um, I want to bring just a simple, pointed message that I think is relevant for me and might be relevant for you as well that will hopefully call us back to our first love, as Revelation defines uh, in response to the message of the gospel, which you believe and I believe, that Jesus died for our sins, that he's been risen from the dead, that he's alive, he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, and that he's engaged and actually cares about the things that are happening on this planet, the invitation is very simple for us this morning. And that invitation is to draw near to Jesus and to put him back at the center of our lives and the center of a conversation when it comes to finding rest in a world that's marked by chaos. Now, here's my hopes for you today. Uh, you, might, you might fit into one of these two categories. One of you might be this, uh, that you feel tired. That just is you. You're like, yeah, I'm already tracking with you. I feel burnt out. I'm worn out. I've got relational baggage, maybe with a loved one, a friend, even maybe, hopefully not, but maybe even the church. My hope is that today you'll be reminded of your source, your strength, your hope, and that ultimately you would find your purpose in Christ, who, as we're going to read in just a moment, promises rest to all who would come to him. Uh, you might be saying, no, Sean, actually, I'm doing pretty well right now. I'm, I'm, I'm actually trucking along, and I feel like things are pretty solid. I think that is awesome, and praise God, but I think this is still a call and an invitation to each of us to say there's still depths of intimacy that I'm lacking in my relationship with God, and I want to go deeper with him. I want to know him more deeply. I want to love his word more thoroughly. I want to be more committed to the things of Christ. So with that in mind, let's read Matthew 11, 28 through 30 today, and I'm just going to pray for our time together. Here are the words of Jesus. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let me pray for us today. 
Lord, it is a privilege today to open your word, to consider the direct words of Jesus, and to open our hearts before you. God, I pray that we wouldn't just engage only our minds today, but also our hearts. I pray that the two would be connected. God, that as we think about these concepts, as we think about the meaning of these words, Holy Spirit, that you would also uh, transform aspects of our lives from the inside out, maybe that are stuck, maybe that are fatigued, maybe they just need to be reminded of the simple truth today. Lord, we thank you that you're our provider, you're our sustainer, you are our rest. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified this morning as we look at your word, as we engage this conversation, and ultimately as we walk out of this place, uh, endeavoring to apply these principles in the heart of what you're trying to communicate to us today. We pray these things in your name. Everybody said, amen. All right, so I want to point out just three invitations I believe Jesus is making. Uh, there's a lot of things we could pull apart from this passage, but there's three specific invitations he makes from this passage that I think are relevant to us today. Here's the first invitation. He says this, come to me, right? Come to me. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So who's invited here? Who's invited to come to Jesus? Those who are weary and who are feeling burdened. Now, this statement comes immediately after Jesus has uh, done this incredible thing by sending out his 12 hand-picked apostles on separate missionary journeys in pairs. And so he sent them out to do mission work. He sent them out to preach the gospel. But Jesus continues on throughout the Galilee region teaching and preaching. Now, remember, much of his audience, the people that Jesus is teaching to many times are, uh, include Jewish people who have been trained and taught by groups like the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are those who oftentimes, though they had a passion and, and elements of a purity in their faith, they also were known for heaping these weighty responsibilities and extra laws and requirements upon their students and upon their audiences. And so while you're learning to, uh, to honor God the way the Pharisees has present, have presented, many times what would happen is that people would get so consumed with trying to fulfill the law and to follow the rules that it was almost like a weight that was being put on them rather than a freedom they were finding in relationship with God. And it's to those types of people that Jesus says, come to me, come to me. And look at those two words in particular, weary and burdened. Uh, the first word weary in the original language could be translated like this, tired, exhausted, with toils, burdens, or griefs, to labor with wearisome effort. It's kind of pitiful if you think about it. Like you just imagine somebody who's dragging their body along, they're tired, they're weary, they're exhausted, and yet they're still just trying to pull themselves forward. It's like you're striving to make it on your own by pulling it up by the bootstraps and charging ahead. I know if there's uh, students in the room, whether there's uh, kids who just got out of school recently or if you're in college for that matter, I know that at the end of the year many times that's how it can feel. You feel very weary because you've just been grinding to get to the end. Maybe that's how you feel in your workplace. The other word here is burdened. Uh, now in the Greek, this word could be translated more literally as to load one with a burden. Another translation might say heavy laden. 
Uh, this is kind of describing that act of, of relationship that the Pharisees would have with the people they were teaching. This would be things like external pressures to obey the law or to keep the Sabbath rigidly. Any kind of religious tradition that might feel more like weight than a blessing. In a religious landscape that said you must work harder to please God, Jesus comes along with a bit of a different angle, a bit of a different message and a different, a different invitation. And he says, come to me if you're worried, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden. I'm curious how you might describe how you're feeling today. I mean, when I asked you to raise your hand, most of you raised your hand, said you've been tired in the last year. So if we're honest, there's probably parts of our souls that are fatigued. Are you tired from living the life that you're living? Do you feel external burdens or pressures to perform, maybe specifically the pressure to keep up some kind of a spiritual appearance within your social circles? I think a lot of us have been potentially in a season of exhaustion, maybe some of us even in just a season of pain, from things that we've experienced and haven't gotten over. You know, over the last few years, I've talked to so many people just through the way conflict has manifested and, and the way people have dealt with their issues in the last few years. It's just been so sloppy, has it not? It's been painful. I, I mean, people have lost re lifelong relationships over things like wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. You know, just, and I know that stuff is polarizing, but the fact is, whatever your experience is, it's caused pain and it's caused turmoil in relationships with people. Major life-altering changes have happened in people's worlds and flipped them upside down. I think some of us are exhausted because we've got responsibilities that we can't ignore. Like I said, students, you, you might be gearing up for your next school year. You're like, I barely got a summer. Just, the sun just came out like two minutes ago. And you're gearing up for your next school year. Maybe if you're a parent... And you've got young kids like I do. Your toddlers are busting your chops daily. <laughs> and you're just tired. You're exhausted because sleep isn't happening. Or maybe you're here and you're just a bit fatigued on your faith. You said, man, I just, I, I would have hoped so much more out of the church over the last few years. And I'm disappointed. And it's wore you down. Maybe you're somebody who served a lot. You've been a small group leader. You've given a lot to the church. Maybe you've even been burned at times, and you're here, you're back, you're giving it another shot, but you're reluctant because of the pains that are behind you in your past. Wherever you're at, if you're feeling weary or broken or tired, here's what Jesus says to you today. Come to me. Not just come to church. Not just come and serve, give of your time, give of your tithes. Not just come adopt a religious worldview so you can check this spiritual box. Not that any of these things are wrong. These are all good things that we should be marked by. But they're just not what he says here. He says, come to me for relationship. Come to me to be connected. Abide in my presence. This is what he describes in John 15 with the vine and the branches. We should be that connected to the point where I cannot do it without Jesus unless I'm connected to him. He is my lifeline. He is my strength. He is my source. And apart from him, I can do nothing. A few quotes to illustrate this. Uh, one from Bruce Wilkinson, just Secrets of the Vine, kind of a devotional book on this topic of abiding. He says, 
Abiding doesn't measure how much you know about your faith of the Bible. In abiding, you seek, long for, thirst for, wait for, see, know, love, hear, and respond to a person. A person. Another quote, I I don't think we'll have a slide for this, but from Charles Spurgeon, uh, said to be the prince of preachers, a solo scriptura guy. Listen to how he says it. He says, to Jesus himself we must come. Not to doctrine, ordinance, nor ministry are we to come first, but to a personal Savior. You might say, but Sean, how do we know who Jesus is without doctrine? How do we know who he is without the word? Of course, hey, same team, I'm with you. <laughs> okay, don't, don't get off track here. I'm totally with you. But those things are a means to a greater end which is a loving, abiding relationship with God by which he is glorified in how we live our lives and our hearts are filled and stirred up to worship him because this is ultimately what we'll be doing for all of eternity. It's relationship with our maker. It's invitation to relationship with Jesus. And I think the reason so many of us point our fingers at God when we hit hard times is because we've, re- we've equated our faith with religious activity. We expect that the church is going to be filled with a bunch of perfect people or that if we have certain behaviors that we adopt, that it's going to make us feel whole and that God's just going to dial everything in for us. But that's not how that works. That's just not how it works. We need the inspired word of God to transform us and to teach us who we are and who God is. But we can't reduce it to just some ancient textbook. This is the living, breathing document that introduces us to the one who made us and who wants relationship with us. But we also need the church. I love the church. I love my church, but it's like some of you, I've walked through painful seasons. But what keeps me me coming back is not just finding a perfect church. It's that I worship a perfect Savior. It's that Jesus is the consistent one. And when we're all inconsistent, and we let each other down, and we don't do the things that we know we should be doing, and we don't line up with God in the ways that we know that we should, the good news is that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And when we come to him, and when we take him seriously and come to him as he's invited us to, there we can find rest and recovery and healing and forgiveness. And we can take a deep breath and keep charging ahead within the body of Christ. Uh, Octavius Winslow, an English preacher from the 1800s, said this, that the life of faith is a constant coming to Jesus for daily, hourly, and fresh supplies. So convicting. I don't know if I go to God hourly in my life. (laughs) What a challenge that could be for us today. What kind of a dependency we could have on Christ. What would our lives look like if we actually came to him with that level of frequency? Not just once, but all the time knowing that he's the one with the resources that we lack. You know, that word come, when he says come to me, is the same word he used when he was inviting his disciples to follow him. Where he says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. There's something about the way Jesus invites us. He's not just inviting us to recharge, but he's offering us relationship and purpose in himself. This is how we find our rest and ultimately how we find our healing. Come to me, who all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the first invitation. Let's look at the second one that we see in this passage. He says, take up my yoke. 
take up my yoke. Now, here's, here's the kind of the paradox of this message. Like, this is a great refrigerator magnet scripture to just give you a shot of dopamine and encouragement when you're down, right? <laughs> but it's so much more than that. And there's a little complexity here. It's interesting because you see that he says, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. But then he tells you to take something up at the same time, to carry something. Wait, I thought I was letting things go. But no, he says, pick something up and a yoke, no less. That sounds like work to me. Now, if you're not familiar with the, the, the word yoke, here, this picture will give you some context. Um, that's a version of a yoke. Uh, the yoke was a, a wooden harness that farmers uh, put on the shoulder of their oxen or cows uh, that they could pull across, the, so they could pull a plow across the field. Uh, many of you know this already. Uh, you might still see something like this on a small farm if they're not just using, like, tractors and things like that. Um, in simpler times, simpler places, and certainly the times of Jesus, uh, when using a tool like this, uh, when they were trying to train a new animal like an ox, maybe a younger ox to start plowing, they haven't done it very much or, or yet, uh, the farmers would often yoke the younger, uh, less experienced ox to an older, more experienced ox who's a bit stronger and more used to being on the farm. That way the stronger animal would ultimately bear the burden or the weight of that yoke and would guide that younger animal through the process of learning as they develop their skill and their strength. And so even though there was one that was weaker and probably couldn't do it by themselves, they had a stronger uh, ox next to them that would carry the load and would pull it with them and for them and would guide them so that they could develop their strength along the way. And then they too could grow and, and, and bear the weight of that load as well. Uh, that word yoke has a broader use than just farming though. When you look at the Greek word, it's pronounced zugas, and it literally means to join or to bind together. Oftentimes, this would be in the sense of coupling ideas together, coupling things together, like those two oxen in the photo. Now, in Jesus' day, the idea was often used to describe the heavy burden that laid on the people by the Pharisees. And so there was a phrase called the yoke of the Pharisees. It was the idea of it being a burdensome yoke that they would put on other people, one of self-righteousness and legalistic law-keeping. Are you tracking? Like, just think about just that burden placed on people's shoulders to abide by the law and to, to uphold the law at the highest of levels. For example, it was said just on Sabbath alone, right, so just one day of rest, that there were over 600 regulations created by the Pharisees on what qualified as work on the Sabbath, I remember I had a chance to do a study trip in Israel a few years ago, and I remember we got to this hotel we were staying at, and there was about five or six elevators in a row, and they had, all of them were just normally marked, but there was one elevator that was marked on the side that was called the Sabbath elevator, and that elevator was set apart for the Sabbath so that those who were coming into the hotel, if they were practicing Sabbath, could go in and not push the button, because that was considered work. So they could just walk into the, the door would open, they would walk in, they would get on the elevator, they would stand there, and here's the kicker. I mean, think about doing this. Every floor, the elevator would stop, the doors would open, they would close, you'd go to the next one, doors open, close, and you would just have to wait until you got to your floor because they didn't want you to have to push a button. That's the kind of nitty-gritty we're talking about when we talk about the, the regulations around Sabbath. It was so intense that in, in 2016, you couldn't even push a button, otherwise you were breaking the Sabbath. 
These are the weights and the burdens that were put on people. I'm, I'm supposed to take a day of rest, and now I've got 600 ways I can mess it up. But here's the good news. And it's that Jesus promises that all who come to him will find rest from the heavy burdens of trying to please God through legalism. That all who come to him, when they take up his yoke, ultimately that we will find rest for our souls. Let me just cut to the chase here. If you're burnt out on your faith or you're tired, it might be because you're carrying the wrong load. It might be that you're striving in the flesh to earn your salvation, to prove yourself to God. But friends, that's not how it works. God's the one that did the heavy lifting for us. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. This is not something we can earn, not something that we deserve. It's something he offers freely. If following Jesus for you has has felt like checking boxes or, or, or aimless rule following, then it's no wonder you're, you're tired. It's no wonder your faith is actually weak despite your striving. Look, I tell you this. The weight you bear in following Jesus shouldn't lead you to heaviness, shame, or exhaustion. It should lead to rejuvenation, rest, and inevitably strength. This is what he means by take my yoke upon you. It's different than striving. It's different than you trying to white-knuckle your spirituality and prove to everybody you're a great Christian soldier. Because ultimately, you're trying to prove that to God, and God's not impressed by your efforts. He says, if you come to me, if you take my yoke upon you and walk with me and learn from me, I will give you rest. You know, many of us, uh, the Christian life has felt heavy because we're relying more on our strength than the strength that Jesus offers uh, it reminds me a, a bit of my kids. Um, if you've got kids, you might understand this story. Um, I've watched them struggle in all kinds of ways over the years. Little kids just struggle with things that you just think, what's, what's, what's your deal? Like, you don't have to struggle over these things. One example is this. My daughter, um, when she was about three, uh, she was totally hooked on those, um, like those Costco applesauce pouches. Anybody have those in your house? Uh, gosh, they just are so good. And I, every time I'd open one for her, I would always take a little bit because that's just the dad tax. Dads, you know what's up. Um, <laughs> my daughter, and my son, this is true of him as, too, uh, true of him as well, um, is that when I'd hand them those patch, pouches, if they didn't have the strength to, t- to take the, the lid off themselves, they'd be extremely frustrated. How many of you have seen your kids do that? You give them the pouch, and they're like, I can't do it. And they just start raging. Like, this is the worst situation in the world. Like, how, how, could, how could this not be working? This, this should be in my mouth now. I, I need to be eating this applesauce. And it's like the world is ending. And so you hand them the pouch. They're struggling. And I'd come along, and I'd say, sweetie, can I just help you? Can I help you with this? Can I just take the lid off? And she says, no, it's mine. <laughs> okay. Of course, 10 seconds later, she realizes this is not going to change hands me the pouch, I crack it open, and it's like it never happened. She's fine. Just go, problem goes away. As soon as it's open, she's fine, and maybe even smiling afterwards. As silly as it sounds, I know this is a preacher silly illustration thing, but let me tell you, as silly as it sounds, I think we do this with God sometimes. We hold so tightly to our ways, assuming we're strong enough and yet we're not. 
We're really not. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I see you trying to live your life on your own strength. I see you trying to find happiness in your own strength. And yet he graciously stands by, waiting for you and I to realize that the job won't satisfy, the money won't satisfy, the relationships won't satisfy, the good works tally you keep in your head won't satisfy, that you're wearing yourself out looking for purpose where it's not meant to be found. And he waits and he invites us to find purpose and strength in him. And in taking up his yoke on our shoulders, there's great benefit. And what is that benefit? He tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So while we in our flesh try to carry these heavy burdens of perfectionism or, or, or approving our spirituality or just trying to, to strong arm our way through our lives and just do everything in the flesh, Jesus says, if you take my yoke upon you, the burden is easy and light. So I wonder if there's an area in your life, if you would consider, where laying down that burden and taking up what he's offering you is the necessary next step. Could it be that today he's inviting you to find your strength, not in yourself, but truly in him? Take my yoke. That's the second invitation. Here's the third invitation. The final one we'll talk about today is this. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine says this. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, take up my yoke, and learn from me. I think this kind of makes sense, this progression. In keeping with the metaphor, when you look at the younger oxen who's yoked to the older one, the older one is leading the younger one as they grow in strength and skill. And doesn't it make sense that that younger oxen is learning from the older one along the way? It's just a byproduct of walking alongside that oxen. It makes sense. Now, this was key in Jewish culture uh, back in these days, and, and, and still true today, rabbis or Jewish teachers would have disciples who would study under them and would study their every move. I mean, literally would, would, would follow them around and watch how they lived from the way they behaved in public to private to the way that they would study. They would literally just absorb everything they possibly could from their rabbis. And it was only after a rigorous process and evidence of their student's transformation that that disciple would even be allowed to speak with any authority on things like the scriptures or any spiritual matters. It was a long, grueling apprenticeship process by which they're absorbing everything they can of their rabbi before they even go out and say a word. That's what makes that word learn so important here. In fact, it's similar to the word that's used uh, when Jesus talks about making disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus is essentially saying, learn what it means to be my disciple. Learn from me. Walk closely with me. And as you do so, you will find rest for your souls. What Jesus is saying here is, come to me, carry what I give you, find rest, Learn how to be my disciples, and I'll show you what you need to do to keep it all going. I wonder what learning and discipleship have to do with rest. I don't know if that's maybe something we connect all of the time, like learning from Jesus, reading our Bibles, uh, you know, deepening our understanding of theology and our faith, like how those things connect to rest. 
Well, I actually think they have a lot to do with it. Here's why. Because when you and I live like disciples, or some would call apprentices of Jesus, he's not only giving us what we need, but he's actually showing us how we should live. Like what kind of lives we should be living. And when we're living in partnership with Jesus and, and, and abiding in the relationship with him and learning how to live the life that he's wired us for and invited us into, it's possible to experience both a renewed sense of passion and excitement for what our lives are actually meant to be. Like I, I can rediscover my passion and, and, and what God has wired me to do with this one life he's given me. And at the same time, while we're doing what he has called us to, sometimes doing it ferociously or whatever the word I'm looking for is, um, we're also finding rest. That's the craziest part, is that when we find ourselves doing our purpose, when we find ourselves surrendered to Christ and carrying what he calls us to carry, at the same time, we're able to experience deep soul-level rest. How do you think missionaries go on, you know, decades-long uh, mission journeys into different countries, plant churches, start orphanages, and do this grueling work that most of us would just be exhausted to even consider? It's because they're forced into a position where they must depend on the Holy Spirit. They must depend on the abiding relationship with Jesus to do that kind of ministry. And I think we get very comfortable in our world. We have what we need. We have cars. We can get around. We have money. We have restaurants. Like, you can order a pizza. Just everything's very simple. And so there's not a lot of situations we find ourselves in where we have to be utterly dependent. But what he's saying is even still, even still, if you will recognize what it means to trust me, to take up what I give you, and to follow my purposes, you will find rest. Now, we can't do this on our own, though. That's why the church is so important. A lot of people think it's, it's fine to just say you're a Christian and not participate in the body of Christ. And clearly, if you're in this room today, you understand that's not the case. Uh, we do need each other to help accomplish this mission and, and fulfill these invitations that Jesus has made for us. Uh, here's just a couple observations about these calls. Uh, some of them are very personal and how he's inviting us, but some of them really do require us to bond together and to work together. Uh, when he says, come to me, that's something that you have to respond to yourself. If you're tired, you have to go to Jesus yourself. He's invited you, and your job is to respond personally. Salvation through repentance, turning away from sin and to God, is obviously something he does, but at the same time, us taking steps towards Jesus is a very important part of our sanctification. He's extended a hand and relationship is possible for each of us personally, but nobody's going to do that for you. You have to be able to cultivate that relationship in the quietness of your own heart and your own private life as much as public. Take up my yoke. Again, this is an individual invitation in a lot of ways. Surrendering your version of strength and purpose, taking up what he offers you through his death and resurrection. In other words, instead of yoking my life or aligning my life with my own priorities or what the world says is important or getting so wrapped up in my own goals and endeavors that I miss God's direction, instead, I'm, I'm turning down the volume on other people's voices that are trying to distract me from the call that God has placed on my life towards faithfulness, and I'm turning up the volume on all things that God says matter I'm exercising trust, and I'm seeking the Lord's guidance. I'm reading my word. I'm praying. 
I'm picking up what he tells me to pick up. This is something we need to learn individually as much as collectively. But then there's this idea of learn from me. Again, there's a responsibility we share individually, but there's also a great benefit in us learning to do that together. You and I are called to personally dive into the word and to pray and to spend time with the Lord. But when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he didn't call them just individually. He called them into a team, into a collective, if you will. They, they traveled, they fellowshiped, they slept, they asked questions, they learned all things together. He was building a kingdom and he started with 12 They were at it together, and the work of being a disciple and making disciples is one we do together. We learn these things in the body of Christ. It's a communal project, one in which we're learning from Jesus together. This is not a solo endeavor. So here's a question. If you're trying to grow as a disciple of Jesus, who who are you running with? Who are the people that are sharpening you? Who's speaking to your life Who's challenging you where you might be off base? Who's, who's in, trying to bring uh, just a, a sense of clarity or, or, or invite you into the hope that Jesus offers you? Remind you of who you really are. Because the thing I think we all understand is that Sunday, as much as we love our gatherings, as much as we love the gathered church, it's not enough. It's not the only thing. It won't cut it. It's not like so, it's, it's not enough, so we've got to do more. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the early disciples of Jesus didn't just get together for an hour and a half on Sunday and then disperse and say, good luck out there. No, they recognized that their growth and even at times their survival was tethered to the unity that they shared in the body of Christ. This is why it's such a joy even to be here with you today. I know I'm not your pastor and... Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm grateful that we're serving the same Jesus and serving the same county together because I know of the faithfulness of this church and the things that you're, you're hoping to do with this community and the way you're trying to love and serve your cities and grow in faithfulness to Christ and to the gospel. No, we're in different communities. Maybe we come from different streams. The fact is we're part of the body of Christ and we're, we're, we're trying to bring about uh, just gospel transformation in our region. And ultimately, I would say we can't do it without each other. At the very least, we need each other's encouragement, if not relationship. And in the same way, that's what God calls us to. Now, I know a lot of people talk about uh, leaving churches for different reasons, and uh, maybe it's, I wasn't being fed or something like that, or uh, I didn't like the pastor's preaching. And um, I think when things like that get said, unfortunately, um, I think what we see happening is, is that we're putting so much of a dependence on the Sunday morning gathering to be the silver bullet for us. And we miss out on so much more that we could be doing together if we weren't just relying on a sermon to feed us and then to kind of like feed off of that meal for the rest of the week only. You know, you would never do that to your physical bodies, go to like the old country buffet or the golden corral, eat a big meal, and then not eat for a week. (laughs) It's not what you do to your physical body. Why would we treat our spirits that way? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. You know, I think about the fact that for me, if that's, if that's my posture, I, the irony is that I'm most of the time preaching to my church. And so who do I get fed by? <laughs> Where do I get fed? I'm mostly pouring out on a Sunday morning. 
I've recognized, especially since becoming a lead pastor, I've had to learn all the more how to dig into my friends and the relationships with people that I know that love Jesus, who are living as disciples, uh, to take Bible reading seriously personally, not just for sermon prep, but for transformation and for my own understanding, and to talk to my wife about those things, you know, to, to have a prayer life uh, that happens in private, that doesn't just happen on a stage, to listen to music that stirs up my affections for Jesus, to have friends that will call me out on my stuff, on my sin, that, that will see my blind spots or see when I'm getting off track and will speak into that in my life. These are important aspects of what it looks like to learn from Jesus. Because if we're just learning on our own, a lot of times we can get tunnel vision and think we've got it all figured out, but we need other people speaking into us and challenging us in our ways. Jesus is inviting us to learn from him, to be his disciple, to be fed by him. But it doesn't happen in isolation. It also happens in community. And again, I think the fact that you're here is evidence, especially if the lead pastor out for a handful of months, the fact that you're still here is going to be of great encouragement to him, <laughs> that there's still a church here. So, uh, so keep doing that. Keep gathering with the saints. Keep being encouraged by each other's presence. Keep fellowshipping. Keep pouring into this community. Keep believing that Mercy Fellowship is here in Marysville for a purpose. And clearly it's here for the body of Christ, for the saints to be built up and strengthened in the faith as you hopefully are doing every Sunday and multiple times throughout the week. But also believe that there are people that don't know the hope that you have, that don't know the gospel. I mean, you could just walk right outside these doors and walk down state and probably encounter many of them. There's tons of neighborhoods, neighborhoods being built in Marysville. How many of you have lived here for a long time or, or bought a house here thinking, wow, I'm really out in the sticks? And now not so much. <laughs> it's highly populated here. How many of those people are potential gospel recipients whose lives could be changed by Jesus through what this local church is doing? I know many of you take this seriously. You're connected with, with this church and with small groups and all kinds of things like that. Bible studies, etc. But at the end of the day, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in your walk with Jesus, my plea to you is this to take steps towards Jesus and to be his disciple and to find your rest in him. And I believe that there's a room full of people here today, all of you who are here and those who are out you know, on vacation or moved to Idaho or whatever their story is, <laughs> there are people that love the Lord that want to spur you on as well and to help you find rest in him. So in response, just to, just to recap what we've talked about today, come to Jesus what does that look like? It looks like rest and recovery and healing when you come to him. Take up Jesus' yoke. That means to carry what he gives you. That's very evidently laid out in the word, but also it might be unique to what he calls you to in your particular life. Be strengthened by walking with Jesus. That great paradox of carrying what he gives you, finding rest and also being strengthened. Be strengthened by taking up his yoke. And then finally, learn from Jesus be his disciple. Make that your lifelong goal, to follow Jesus for all the days of your life. And I really believe that the fruit will be bared out because of that. Let me pray for you today.